Welcome to the JetRails podcast, supporting you through the airwaves with information about website and e-commerce technology and strategies from design and development to security, marketing, conversion rate optimization, and web hosting. We bring you insights from industry leaders and experts hosted, edited, and published by me, Robert Rand, your friendly neighborhood tech ambassador. Hi, and welcome to an episode of the JetRails podcast. I'm Robert, your host. Today, we're going to be talking about prices, um, <laughs> sometimes an area that is uh, overlooked, um, that merchants don't spend enough time optimizing for. And we're going to be talking about looking at your competitors' prices, uh, evaluating your own, basically what, what you should be thinking about, aside from just the normal conversation of how much would you like to charge or what would you like your margins to be? But in reality, what's it going to take to make the sales that you want to make and uh, to really take the business where you want to take it? I'm joined today uh, by our guest, Birch, from the pricing team. And um, Birch, would you do the honor of introducing yourself? Sure. Uh, well, first of all, thanks a lot for inviting us and inviting me to this nice podcast. So I'm I'm Burch, like you introduced. I'm the CEO and co-founder of uh, this company called Pricing, which is, in a sense, a competitor price tracking plus dynamic pricing software for e-commerce companies of, I would say, all sizes from all around the world. So like I said, we help actually companies in two ways. One is actually essentially collecting all their competitor pricing info. So we provide them a little nice dashboard where they can see you know, all their competitors charging various uh, amounts to, to, to the products that they are selling. But on top of that, we also provide an engine uh, that actually uses all that data to come up with optimum price points for our merchants' uh, products. So essentially, it's actually two levels of services. Uh, and, 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 you know, fortunately, we currently work with, I don't know, hundreds of companies from all around the world, mostly small and medium-sized businesses. So this is actually not necessarily an enterprise play, but we work with even like small e-commerce startups, but we also work with some, I don't know, Fortune 500 companies. And we are based in Istanbul, Turkey. Uh, but like I said, I mean, we, 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 we are like fortunately a global company now. I mean, Turkish customers make only about like 1% of our client base, maybe. And we are a team of 50 all based in Istanbul with some other folks uh, in different parts of the world just to cater to our global, let's say, customer base. But yeah, uh, basically, that's that's it. Wow. And you know, before I dive in on, on the pricing, I always love to ask about the company names. You know, yeah. When I see Price Sync, I, I think of synchronizing prices. Is that... Was that just a natural name that you fell into? Was it a <laughs> hard no, process no, 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 to figure it out? All. Yeah, correct. I mean, we, 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 like I said, I mean, we currently help companies in two ways, but the primary, primary actually origin was this uh, synchronizing all the competitor prices in one screen. So we, we started up as a, as a competitor price tracking tool. Then came this dynamic pricing vision. But fortunately, that's also quite relevant with Sync because we essentially like Sync our customer prices across multiple channels on their web shop, on other platforms and stuff. So at the end of the day, we also like this, uh, let's say, uh, pronunciation of our name because mostly companies pronounce it like pricing as 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 as, as the so they're going to price sound. a product, yeah, yeah, yeah that's pricing a product. But then we say, yeah, it's with sync. So I mean, it's it's an icebreaker icebreaker for demo calls with some you know we see introductions and stuff. But uh, I I also really like the name and also the logo that comes with it. By the way, so we also you know if you can see it. It's also like sure, kind for of all, all of our video right? viewers that yeah you've yeah, you've yeah, got yeah, that yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. you know it, 
And I think that that's interesting that thinking about it as something that is a little bit of a, a wash, rinse, repeat <laughs> kind of a process that yeah. like most things uh, in e-commerce, that it's not static, it's dynamic, that it needs to be right. changing. It needs to be reevaluated. So speaking of which, one of my first questions for the day, you know, when I think about some of this, I always worry about the race to the bottom about, mm -hmm. well, you know, if you just keep watching your competitors and your competitors just keep watching you, don't you all just start to price yourselves out of the market by really hitting rock bottom? Uh, you know, is that part of the challenge here, finding the right place where the consumers got value uh, and you're still successful as a business or how do you is it you know as an expert in the field approach that kind of that piece of the conversation because i imagine for some merchants that's what they're most worried about is well i, I don't want to give up my margins i don't want to lose profitability with it well actually that's the, the the major counter argument we receive against our really proposition i would say so we always hear this on demo calls i don't know we also hear this on webinars and stuff they all you know this race to the bottom thing is quite common to hear but uh, like after a free trial period with us, or maybe after a few months, years time, we and also our clients noticed that we also actually, you know, as much as discounting initiatives, we also help those merchants to increase their prices in a smart way as well. Because, you know, if you think, if you, if you actually look into things from the opposite angle, you know, due to your maybe like solid cost advantage because of your relationship with your existing suppliers, if you follow just a simple dummy, I would say cost-based pricing where you apply, I don't know, a strict, harsh uh, profit margin, like 20% on a given cost without considering the market conditions, market prices, you may end up with a really low uh, price in the market, which is, I mean, maybe 25, 30% cheaper than the cheapest of your competitors. So on the contrary, we also help our customers to detect these type of price points, which are way lower than the market average or way lower than the cheapest in the market. So our dynamic pricing engine can actually help our merchants to increase their prices in such conditions. So in that case, this is not necessarily raised to the bottom at all. But on the contrary, we help them not to leave any money on the table because let's say if they increase their prices by 10%, 50%, or I don't know, in hard cash terms, like $50, $100, they would still be the cheapest in the market. So if you think in, I don't know, microeconomics term, their sales volume wouldn't be hurt. So they will mm -hmm. sell as much as they were selling with the cheaper price, which was the minimum price. But they will have this additional $50, dollars uh, markup uh, on, on their sales. So this actually brings, brings, the, brings us to the main value proposition of our solution. So we always claim that optimum pricing is not necessarily minimum pricing. But it's actually really finding your sweet spot in comparison to all your all your competition uh, in the market. Well, and I imagine there are unique things that come up, like if you notice that a lot of product uh, from competitors is out of stock. Yeah. And, you know, at that point, it's a supply and demand question. You can raise your price a little bit and probably still, you know, make very healthy sales because where mm -hmm. else are people going to shop for it? Right. So, I mean, this is this is also one of the one of the major, let's say, action items uh, for our clients. So we also provide, like you said, stock availability monitoring uh, in addition to price monitoring. So in in such cases, we also alert our customers when, for example, high demand product goes out of stock at their major competitor. And like we said, 
this gives them an opportunity to increase their prices uh, because you know the customers don't have any other option to buy from. So this gives also an upper especially during during, for example, periods of time like Black Friday, Cyber Monday, etc., where almost everything uh, is in high demand. Uh, the the merchants that fail to plan their inventory well, or uh, you know, encounters this issue a lot. So they they start their discounting. I don't know on day one of those, let's say four day periods. And they go out of stock on day two. Uh, this is a big mistake because they 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 lose a lot of money on the table. Uh, but anyways, if our merchants are, if our users are monitoring those guys with deep discounts, they don't match their discounts during that uh, like remaining two days period just because they saw the discount on day one. But they noticed that this competitor went out of stock on day two, for example. So they also, like we said, increase their prices. So yeah, it, it, it all makes sense. So after all, I mean, what I'm trying to say is that we are not necessarily always helping our clients to make discounts, but we also help them to increase their prices in a smart and competitive way. Interesting. And look, when you're going to scrape data to read data from other websites, basically, you, know, you need to know what you're competing against. Is that always, and I, I, I don't want to misuse the word here, but relatively easy <laughs> I don't like to call anything in tech tr- truly easy, but are there times when the data isn't publicly accessible or easily crawled? Yeah, I mean, technology is supposed to make everything easy, right? But building technology is not always easy, I would say. So uh, the, the finished product, you know, makes things look quite easy. But at, at the back end, I would say about 95%, I mean, this is just, uh, I, I mean, random numbers with some guesstimates, obviously, but about 95% of websites in, from all around the world are quite easy to get data from. So you can just visit them like a, like a human being with a you know, proper browser so you can collect the data. But in some cases, even a proper, I don't know, even a consumer might have some, I don't know, issues with visiting the website because it, it loads a lot uh, longer than average. For example, you need to wait for three seconds for the homepage to load. So in that case, a normal, a regular shopper would even kind of be pissed off. So <laughs> they won't really read the price uh, like from their browser. So our robots might also have some hard time to deal with such. I websites. finally found the benefit to having a slow website. It's hard for, yeah, yeah, <laughs> for crawlers yeah, to I read mean, it too. That, that, that's correct. I mean, maybe a small one, but yeah, it's it's a benefit if, if you look at it that way. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, such cases uh, create some problem to us. But again, I mean, it's not really a big benefit because, you know, if we detect that, we also, you know, react against it. So we, for example, wait for three seconds for the pages to load and then we get the data. But it, you know, at the end of the day, creates some problem. And also, some other issues are related to how to say location-based pricing, for example. So some websites show different prices from for visitors from different parts of the world. So it really depends on your IP, for example. Especially in Europe, this happens quite a lot. So you know, it depends on the country you visit the website uh, from. Uh, and you know, but this is, I think, going to change. By the way, European Union. Uh, came up with a new regulation where they say that all prices will be the same regardless of the you know location you visit. But this is also one of the cases. So I would say price localization might cause us some I don't know hard time. But other than that, I mean, as this is really our our, our how to say like uh, business area, even if we encounter with tricky issues, that's our job to come over them, get through them, and that's that's how we how we do. And uh, you know, not to break too much about that, but 
Pricing currently monitors more websites than the total sum of all our competitors out there. So I would say this is this is really our our uh, how to say muscle. Hmm. I mean, I'm not really that that actually actually how to say uh, I can't really say the very same thing about our dynamic pricing sophistication because there are tons of other AI driven engines out there. But this price scraping thing is I, I think our superpower in a way. Cool. Uh, you know, I think. And I suppose that, you know, the other exception to the rule is if something is B2B and it requires mm-hmm. a login or there's something that's basically, if it's not publicly accessible, it's not mm-hmm. publicly accessible, that there might be certain things that can get in the way of the scrapers. But yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, yeah. again, uh, I can directly comment on that. I mean, we can technically overcome that, but commercially, we don't do B2B scraping, for example, because the data is not public. So there's a reason why it's not public. So unless it's public, we don't collect it uh, with with commercial commercial let's say purposes. Uh, but again, I mean technologically you can overcome that, but we don't do that. And I think it's also going to be a, how to say uh, history to be honest, because I I read a lot about B two B commerce. I mean that actually is a conversion killer for B two B commerce. Uh, so B two B companies are also more uh, inclined towards showing their prices publicly nowadays. And I think that's that's really going to be a history in the coming five years or so. So that's also a good news for us, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. I, a strange question popped into my head. In, in my agency days, once in a while, I'd have a challenge that we'd wind up doing Google AdWords, uh, running Google Ads for you know two companies that were competitors or we'd wind up doing seo for two companies mm-hmm. that were competitors usually you know businesses had some differentiators they weren't exactly the same but there was going to be some overlap in keywords or things um, have you thought of of any challenge around that as you grow and i i imagine support different uh customers that serve up the same products basically your own technology is being used to help two competing entities to to fight for the same sale yeah i would say we have some countries and industries where we serve about like 50 percent of the market for example so we have let's say 10 major companies in that vertical of the country and we serve about like five of them so this is this is a real case so there the thing is also uh, about costs so you know price is uh one side of it is actually competition but the other side is also your purchase prices so the money that you pay to your suppliers so these guys are also competing on costs so if all those merchants are coming to our engine with different purchase prices so different margin targets etc it changed the whole game so even though we provide them the same competitor prices their strategies differ their cost base differ so they can actually come up with different pricing strategies. So I believe we actually are not really an agency. So we are mainly, I would say, and how to say, independent data provider. So we don't really provide, how to say, any any action on behalf of our clients. So sure. We just it, it, thinking data. back to advertising, to you know, to digital marketing, mm-hmm. you're a tool that provides, <laughs> in relative terms, keyword research, or Correct. you're going to tell them. Console. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah. you know, it, it, it's, it's a tool. That. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. That, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, does it? I, and I imagine some strategy goes into this maybe at a, at a higher level. So some of it's going to be individualized based upon their uh, wholesale purchase prices or costs mm-hmm. there, uh, you know, some of those, those internal uh, understandings. But I, I imagine that there's also, look, you know, you'll discount a high ticket item 
to drive people in and then maybe try to leave the margins higher on peripherals or add-ons. So you sell the TV on sale, but you know, you, you want to sell the extended warranty, the cables, the whatever other accessories, you know, whatever streaming devices, whatever it might be at maybe more of a premium where you'll make more profit. Do those sorts of things go fit in in any way with, with your platform, that kind of intelligence that, um, you know, what is going to be a primary product that drives the user to the store and then what's more of a secondary impulse purchase? I mean, this this input primarily comes from the customer. So we don't really have a particular, let's say, data collector engine that comes up with that decision of like, the assortment. So they actually, for example, we are working with a merchant that has, I don't know, 20,000 SKUs in their web shop. So that merchant can pick, I don't know, any 100, any 200 products from their assortment, which they regard as you know competitive in prices. So they focus on that particular assortment as a price competitive assortment. So they actually optimize their uh, prices for that key value items, let's say. And then they actually don't really do the same thing for the remaining long tail products because they, they are after more profit margins over there. So they are not really playing that competitively because like you said, I mean, this is also the case for, for example, diapers in mom and baby e-commerce. We see this a lot. So we work with, for example, I don't know, tens of hundreds of mom and baby web shops. So they all always monitor the top diapers in the market and they always try to be the cheapest for those products because, you know, those are the products where, where, where uh, parents are always, you know, in the purchase. Yeah, but you're market. probably not going to price shop a, a pacifier that, you know, right. just to hit order minimums and things that doesn't make sense. Uh, you know, so maybe formula and diapers, uh, strollers, mm -hmm. things that people mm -hmm. are going to price shop. That's yeah. what you look at, but the yeah. burp cloths or, you know, yeah. whatever it yeah. might be, you know, I, I have little ones. So many products. Yeah, I mean, hard to name all. But yeah, yeah I mean, they are, they, are, they are actually making that decision at their end. So they actually define those key value items. So they can actually uh, pick, I don't know, even 10%, 5% of their whole assortment and dump it into our engine. So they only monitor that assortment rather than the full assortment. And that then, makes sense. Yeah, so if they're yeah. selling electronics, you know, the TVs, the cell phones, that's what gets monitored, not the cell phone right. cases, not the cables. Yeah, that, yeah. that makes perfect sense. So focus on on the categories and things. That's probably pretty easy for most merchants. It's probably going to come down to key categories and things. And how often do you think merchants should potentially be adjusting prices? I know as a shopper, I might be a, a little... I don't know what the right word is, but uh, a little turned off of every time I come back to the site, you know, because sometimes it takes a while before you make a purchase. You're thinking about it, you know, whatever the, the reasoning is, lots of reasons I could throw out there. But you don't purchase immediately. You come back and all of a sudden the price is $10 more. The price is, you know, up and down. And how often do you think it's healthy to potentially be repricing? Mm -hmm. And I, I imagine that maybe there are just some products that are so commoditize that they do change more frequently. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it also depends on the market you're active in. So also like uh, like indirectly, it also depends on your competition. For example, if you are in a market uh, where you compete against Amazon, which is actually the whole market, <laughs> I hmm. know what I'm saying. So, uh, you know, people are used to Amazon's real dynamic pricings. So like they change the prices, I don't know, once in every 10 minutes or so for some of their products. So 
if you are, for example, using an engine like ours, which is actually repricing your products against the whole competition, which includes Amazon, we would typically recommend you some price changes. So this was actually the way we began this repricing thing. So we were recommending, I don't know, pricing actions once in every, you know, four hours, six hours or so. But people also started to say that, okay, I don't really want to change my prices for five cents only. So put some threshold there. So we actually came to the point where we don't necessarily need to answer your question. But rather than that, we actually set some thresholds of price changes. I mean, you don't necessarily need to change your prices for, I don't know, 1%, I don't know, 0.5%. But if there's actually a meaningful discount opportunity of, let's say, more than 5%, 10%, then change your price. But don't really piss your customers off for just, I don't know, $1 price increase, decrease. Because that really actually is the problem. But if you yeah. spot any opportunities where you have the chance to, I don't know, uplift your margins for, I don't know, 10%, just do that even if you would need to change your prices, I don't know, twice a day. So that's actually where we found the sweet spot. So people are now able to set certain thresholds. So if we don't really hit those thresholds, we don't really reprice them. So the, 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 the real question, the real answer, sorry, is actually not the ideal frequency, but the ideal amount of price changes, I would say. So, yeah, I think that makes sense because and there are carts that I know when I go into that cart, it tells me that, look, these, you know, five prices have changed since you were here two days ago. And I know often for some stores, it's the weekend that their sales from last week ended and the new sales started. And so that's almost to be expected. And in other cases, it's just like, <laughs> what's happening here that this thing needs to be repriced over 10 cents. Yeah, uh, I think we will, we will all get used to that in a way. I mean, I think the, yeah. the things are moving really in that direction. So it's not really going to decrease, but, you know, increase more. So the price uh, dynamism, I would say, is going to increase uh, thanks to tools like us, I would say. Yeah. Well, it, at least if anything, I think it keeps the price a little bit more honest to, you know, mm -hmm. something that it should be because, you know, for most consumers, understanding how uh, a seller, you know, how a merchant came to a particular price it's completely arbitrary in, in the eyes of the beholder. Uh, so, you know, and we've been talking a lot about goods that might be identical across the board. What happens if instead uh, we're talking about maybe some kind of a direct to consumer product where, yes, uh, they have something that's unique that's made just for them that they make? But they still have competition out there making similar goods, making competing goods. Is that something that still gets monitored through a tool like yours? Or because it's not the same SKUs, it's not exactly the same item, is that just too difficult to really automate today? Well, actually, we, we can automate that. But I mean, I, I would be honest. I mean, this is not our really power use case. But we have, I would say, maybe about 3 4% of our client base are... Uh, like direct to consumer brands, like you said. So, so we have some mattress companies, for example, uh, some furniture brands using our tool to benchmark their own products with same, let's say, specifications, features against other branded products. So this still works. So the, the way we help them in the in the tool is that we help them to define the competition. So on the on the identical product side, we use our own matching technology where we find the all competitive products uh, out there automatically. So we help them to monitor them uh, with, a, with, a, with a click. But for the for the D2C part, for the non-identical items, we actually 
let the driving wheel uh, in the hands of our merchants. So they actually go through their assortment one by one and they say, okay, for this SKU of mine, I want to benchmark this against this SKU of my competition. So they handpick all the competitive items in the market. So they, they draw this, let's say, landscape. And then they actually benchmark their own product prices against them. And they obviously not necessarily... Uh, you know, benchmark their prices head to head because maybe they are more premium than the others or maybe they are actually less premium than the others. But it at least gives some, I have to say, perspective. So if they're actually putting, I don't know, ridiculously high prices, higher prices than their competition, just because they think that they are premium, this might end up with no sales at all. Or if they actually think that they are a budget solution, and if they are selling their product, I don't know, 50% cheaper than the premium version, maybe this this is actually a too much of a discount, too much of a, let's say, budget option. So they can at least set the tone, I would say, of their, of their own branded products. So long story short, yeah, they can benchmark it, but this requires some further input from the user uh, of the tool. And it's actually not necessarily, I, I, I you know, I may, may be speaking a bit against our solution, but I think in D2C, this type of price benchmarking is probably not the most important aspect of the business. Uh, that's that's how I see things. I mean, it's really important. You know, it, it would be nice to have in your tech stack, uh, tool mm-hmm. like us. But I think we are not the mission critical tool in that uh, type of yeah, business. Yeah, competitive research is a benefit. But basically, yeah. if, if you're not building demand for your product and your brand, uh, you know, it's going to be a tough journey. Uh, and what happens, so I'm, I'm going to flip the script a little bit. I've dealt with merchants that have uh, map pricing, manufacturers uh, pricing being applied where let's say that HP printer can only be sold for this price. Uh, you can't discount it more than that, uh, even when you want to. What happens in, in those situations? Because at that point, you can discount just so much uh through normal you know discounting practices and such do you, have you found that that leads to any challenges or different strategies for merchants that that are selling those kind of goods where the the manufacturer is uh is slapping those rules onto the products and they've yeah. got to abide by them yeah i mean th- this is i would say a gray area of retail so we uh maybe you might also ask this at a later point but we also work with brands so this map, uh, like minimum advertised pricing monitoring thing is actually more relevant for brands to really see whether those retailers are obeying those prices or not. Because in some cases, I mean, this is this is the nature of retail. Some merchants are really aggressive and they actually offer discounts at the middle of the night where the brand is not really watching. So they even go below that map price for about 25% during the two hours time frame. So they actually cover cover the whole demand in the market during those two hours two time. But in the majority of the cases, if a product is priced, uh, if a product has a minimum advertised price, we mostly see the prices are being above the map price uh, in the beginning. And then the people are uh, competing against each other by either equaling that to map or not. So they, they always, this is actually a market equilibrium. So it typically remains 5%, 10% above the map. So if a merchant is really willing to be competitive, they can either equal make their price equal to MAP, or again, in some aggressive cases, which is also a use case for our solution, they may even go below MAP prices. But 
I also noticed that if, for example, we are dealing with a retailer and if that retailer has, I don't know, three brands in their assortment with map prices, they typically avoid monitoring those products, but instead they actually go, uh, go after monitoring the products without map because they are more price competitive. But yeah, I mean, this is, this is how it rolls. Yeah, you know, and it's interesting. I, I, for years, you know, I, I dealt with merchants that had some of those challenges and we'd come up with uh, options that depending on, again, you know, who the manufacturers were that wouldn't break the rules, but that would offer differentiation on site. So at that point, it's different strategy. It's mm-hmm. let's get a reward and loyalty program where we can give extra points, extra cash back mm-hmm. in essence on those uh, mm-hmm. purchases, or let's offer a free product with it that no one else is offering. And, you know, with platforms like Magento, there are extensions that'll do that where uh, they can maybe even choose the product that they're going to get with it. And so at least, okay, they're going to get something that they're not going to get someone else. The pricing might not be cheaper, but the, the shopper feels like they won something. <laughs> they feel like they got something that they weren't otherwise going to. And that's part of the challenge. You know, when you get a shopper that's going to five different places and everything's exactly the same, well, something's got to stand out as different. And, you know, you can do that by offering um, different content and uh, you know, and, and really standing out as the experts in the field. You can do that by offering extended warranties that others aren't offering. Uh, you know, uh, you know, there are platforms that that hook into these e-commerce sites like um, Clyde that do yeah, that. One, uh, thing, one thing that we occasionally encounter is the thing that you said. I mean, some websites are actually placing different, various, more discounted prices for the loyal customer base. So they have, let's say, a cart, loyal loyalty cart. So there is this. MAP compliant price available on the product page. But if you log in with this loyalty card, blah, 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 you can actually see a discounted price, which is not originally visible for the brand. So they mm-hmm. they, they believe that, okay, this merchant is obeying our minimum sure. advertising I mean, price. I know some that you won't see the discount until you get to the cart. So it's not yeah. displayed mm-hmm. properly. Mm-hmm. You know, that one doesn't usually, that one usually has more conflict with, with mm-hmm. some brands uh, you know, yeah, some of them that for members or people that are logged in or, you know, special VIPs, like you say, you know, recurring customers, that sort of thing that they get uh, better price breaks. It's interesting figuring that one out because at the end of the day, I mean, <laughs> look, if we think about this, like most things in life, it's, you know, you build a wall, people figure out how to go over it, under it, you know, break through it. You know, people are smart, but merchants just want to sell product. So, mm-hmm. you know, if brands understand, if these uh, if these manufacturers understand that, you know, if if they want to create certain thresholds, usually, I think it's if anything, they should <laughs> come to the merchant saying, "Here's a list of ten things that you can do, so that we don't wind up in a in an argument about it later." Yeah, and in some in some occasions, these prices are not necessarily kind of like uh, given as a rule, but mostly like recommended. So I'm actually more and more and more uh, like I, I like that approach more because this helps you to see whether your retailers are really playing fair uh, in line with those prices. So according to the compliance of the retailer, for example, the brands might negotiate with them better for 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 their next purchases. So they might provide them a lower purchase cost and stuff. But if they are dealing with a really aggressive uh, player in the market, they might notice that they might need to increase their purchase prices so that they won't be able to, you know, slash the market average and stuff. So recommended price is actually more and more of the European style, I would say. In the European market, we see that more often. 
and uh, really, really uh, like compliance stuff. Yeah, and I think it's also part of the challenge of the market that you know the merchants want the same benefits as the brands have in pricing. Uh, I mentioned TVs earlier; it just happens to be a hot topic. Uh, you know, in, in recent years that prices on televisions have continued to come down. And it's not just because manufacturing has gotten somehow so much better. It's that they're bundling in all of the smart technology, all of these, I'll just call them apps. And at that point, they're collecting data, they're selling data. Uh, and so they're they're making their profit on the data. They don't need to make the profit on the hard, durable, you know, on the good, on the on the TV. So I think, you know, for some merchants, it's the same thing that they don't need to make a big margin, uh, you know, as the retailer selling the TV, you know, leaving the manufacturer out of that equation for a second. They want to make profit on extended warranties and cables and other peripherals and add-ons. And, you know, the same with a video game system. They don't have to make a lot of money on the console. They want to sell 20 games with it uh, and everything else that, you know, that you can think of under the sun. So I, I think that all plays into it. It's that uh, I, <laughs> you know, everyone's trying to play by a very similar rule book, just it's about who writes the rule book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's correct. Absolutely. And as yeah. long as there are rules, like you said, I mean, people, people oversmart those rules. And, you know, this will also drive a different nature to the business, which will then find an equilibrium at the end of the day. Yeah. Well, this has been a really interesting conversation. I, I really appreciate your time today. But before we wrap it up, any words of wisdom, anything coming down the pike from your team, any, uh, you know, any interesting recent, you know, case studies or learnings, or uh, I'm just going to pick your brain for a second. Any, any final words of wisdom before we, uh, we wrap for the day? Sure. I mean, it's it's not maybe not necessarily just about our business, which is like pricing intelligence and stuff. But I, I am now really really interested in technologies which are which are providing uh, the power of automation to all sides of e-commerce businesses. I mean, typically like uh, solutions like ours were placed more like an enterprise offering, so you know smaller medium-sized businesses wouldn't afford like automation like us. But nowadays in the ecosystem, especially thanks to you know, e-commerce platforms like Magento, Shopify, this and that. I mean, you can simply plug uh, many technologies like us into your store. Even if you're a sole founder, for example, managing an e-commerce store, or if you're a small team of, like, say, 10 people, 20 people, you can really automate many of the stuff that you are currently doing manually. So we, for example, encounter this a lot. So we, when we talk to, for example, new clients, their typical story is that we originally had two people in the team manually monitoring the prices of the competition. So we then found out about your solution and we want to automate that. So this is actually the story that we really like because, you know, those two people don't really get fired. Like that's not the, that's not how it ends, but they actually become users of our solution and they do more value added, let's say, uh, operations in the team because I believe this is going to be the way uh, that we need to find for humans to operate in the, you know, further digitalizing world. So I'm actually, just because of that, really recommending automated solutions like ours to all sides of e-commerce companies out there, rather than doing things in a manual way, because they can actually, for example, improve their customer relationship, which is, I think, the most humanistic part of the business in e-commerce, rather than just doing, I don't know, uh, stuff that can be automated via tools. They should really 
try to find stuff that cannot be really easily automated by tools. So in that regard, I mean, needless to say, this provides a lot of, let's say, return on investment in hard cash terms, in, I don't know, time-saving terms and stuff. But uh, most important, it also provides, uh, how to say, uh, like employee, uh, let's say, um, happiness. Because, you know, it's it's a really terrible feeling. Uh, if, you, if you know that there's actually a tool that can do the exact same stuff that you're currently doing, I think people people really don't like those type of jobs. And I think those type of jobs are really going to be redundant in the future or they will be replaced. Uh, so this is this is my own bit of my own bit of recommendation. Just go after every single uh, automation initiative that you can put into your operation, uh, regardless of your size. I mean, don't think that these are all uh, tools for big companies, enterprise companies, but you can really go after you know, Magento Marketplace, Shopify App Store and stuff and, you know, get most out of that. Well, and I think it's actually, it's really interesting that, you know, for the mid-market to think that sometimes SMBs, you know, that startups are getting to things faster than they are, uh, you know, because they're innovating and just looking, you know, from the get-go, what's, what's you know, on the market that we're going to benefit from and piecing mm-hmm. together more, where sometimes when you're already up and running and more established, you don't get to sit down and have those strategy meetings often yeah. enough. Uh, you know, strategic planning should happen more often. You should be looking at conversion optimization for the front end, but you should also be looking for, you know, for optimizations for the back of the house and uh, yeah. for in, you know other parts of your your operation. So, always interesting. Well, Birch, really a pleasure having you on today. Uh, I you know look forward to catching up with you ag- again and hearing how the world of prices is because I have a feeling that this is one in particular that's going to continue to be a hotter and hotter topic in in the coming years. Um, you know, the, it's just the nature uh, of the industry that we're in. Um, for our listeners, as always, thanks for tuning in. Uh, we'll have more great content like this for you very soon. And in the meantime, stay safe, stay healthy, and happy selling out there. Thanks for listening to the JetRails podcast. You can subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. We also post full videos of most episodes on the JetRails YouTube and Facebook channels. You can find links at jetrails.com forward slash podcast. Have questions about an episode? Is there a topic you'd like us to cover in the future? We're at JetRails on LinkedIn and Twitter. Do you want to sponsor this podcast? Sorry, but we're committed to ad-free listening. We are, however, always looking for guests that our listeners will benefit from. And don't forget to like the podcast on whatever platform you're tuning in from. It's a small ask, but it's a big help. We appreciate it. And more importantly, we appreciate you.